0: Hello there. Welcome to the first official podcast of The Movie Nuts. My name is Rob Scheib and I am your host. And for this first podcast I wanted to introduce uh, the podcast and put a little history behind it so that we can begin talking movies and enjoying discussing movies, the things that make them fun, the things that make them great and part of the fabric of our lives. Uh, This Movie Nuts group began as a Facebook group, which still exists today. It's a closed group, which means it can be entered by invitation, so if you are interested in that, please look for it and ask to join. I am the administrator of it. Uh, A little bit about me and the reason why I started a group of this nature is, quite simply, as a lot of people do, I really, really enjoy the cinema, I enjoy movies, and I enjoy all the elements of them. If you're anything like me, I watch movies sort of on two planes. Uh, One, I love to enjoy a good, smart, clever movie. Fun, funny, horror, scary, all those things. And I also enjoy following the technical or stylistic aspects of the movie at the same time that you watch and enjoy the plot. Um, The origin of my enjoyment of movies really comes from being very young. And my father was one of the original local late-night horror movie hosts on WCIA in Champaign, Illinois, when I was just born. He was Traybor on the Thursday night show Way Out. And when I was young, that led to a great appreciation of the classic universal horror films, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman, uh, The Invisible Man, etc., typically starring Bill Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Lon Shady Jr., and the like. Uh, From there, though, I can honestly say the film that has affected me the most and remains my favorite to this day, and the one that really made me an aficionado of film itself, is Jaws. In 1975, I went to go see it. Uh, My dad had pre-screened it for me, fearing it would be too frightening, but decided I could go ahead and see it. And we went to a theater that no longer exists, as probably many of your favorite theaters of your youth do not. Uh, He picked me up from school, so we saw sort of a late matinee. So the crowd wasn't very big because the movie had been out for quite a while. But nonetheless, uh, this was back in the days when occasionally, films had a a minor first feature, sort of a warm-up act. And this had a warm-up feature basically about surfing, which I guess they assumed was somewhat connected because it involved the ocean and all of that. Uh, But ironically, uh, having heard enough about the film, uh, the 15 or 20 minutes of this documentary were enough to make me begin wondering what lurked in the ocean and what I was about to see, and I began to have second thoughts, and then reassuringly my dad said the ever classic, uh, you know, if it gets to be too scary, we can always leave, etc. So after the documentary ended, and I, uh, we began to watch, of course, Jaws opens with the wonderfully terrifying and awful scene of the death of Christine Watkins, uh, in which you see nothing except her reaction and finally being pulled below the waves, Uh, remains one of the most effective opening scenes of a film ever. If you're not already uncomfortable in your seat by the time that happens, I don't know what will do it. Uh, Several years ago, uh, Bravo did a, a 100 Scariest Movie Moments, and I'm not quite sure what the criteria was but that ended up being the number one was the death of Chrissy at the very beginning. Uh, It's especially interesting if you've ever read the book where it explains exactly what supposedly happened to her. The shark actually takes her foot off in a single bite and she reaches down realizing that and then the blood in the water, etc. At any rate, from that moment on, I was essentially hooked. Uh, Needless to say, We did not leave, and I watched the entire movie, and that has remained my favorite film all these years later. So for this first episode of the Movie Nuts podcast, I'd like to talk a little bit about Jaws and its overall effects, and some of the things about it that I think still stand up today, despite the fact that it was a a movie fraught with difficulty being made, and it still features a very mechanical shark despite the fact that CGI and everything else has made special effects what they are, the reality is that unless you're just going to go in with the totally cynical belief that you're going to look for the shark to look fake at every possible opportunity, it's still a movie that can scare the hell out of you. Uh, It works, though, on so many levels because of a handful of elements, not the least of which is uh, possibly serendipitous, but that's how it always works casting of three people who were ideal for their roles. Uh, Roy Scheider, whose history leading up to that had been mostly uh, second banana roles. Uh, Gene Hackman's partner in The French Connection, which he was good. Uh, The rather hateful pimp in uh, Alan J. Pakula's Clute. And some other roles related to cops and other things like that. Uh, Playing an everyman type was able to infuse it with a great deal of, of humanity and the idea that he would get aboard a boat, which he was terrified of, uh, to protect the people he had been trusted with, the, the citizens of the Island, plays very well. And the fact that most of us are equally as uncomfortable near the water or having grown up in cities makes the Brody character, obviously, the, the central identifier. Uh, unlike in the book, where the character of Matt Hooper was kind of a, a jerky, lead. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss, who again had some good pre-credits. Um, American Graffiti. Uh, the Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, which is kind of a dopey movie. And uh, actually, how poorly he thought he had done in that convinced him, I believe, to agree to make Jaws, which he initially did not want to do. But nonetheless, uh, he bought kind of a goofy-like ability to Hooper that was a nice contrast. Uh, he's an expert who never appears to be too high on his high horse about the expertise he has, but he provides just enough exposition to add to the terror of the giant great white shark as opposed to diluting it, which is what some scientist characters are rather famously <clears throat> a part of. <clears throat> Lastly, though, the film is simply made by Robert Shaw's cantankerous version of Quint. Shaw made a fabulous career playing antagonistic, difficult characters, which from everything that's been said, uh, is not too far from his personality, at least after he had a little bit to drink. Uh, There are a lot of backstory films on Jaws that talk about how difficult Shaw could be, but uh, he's been in so many great movies, including playing the villainous Doyle Lonigan in The Sting, Uh, He's an original James Bond bad guy playing Donald Red Grant from Russia with Love. Uh, He went on to play the second, sorry, the main character in the second Peter Benchley adaptation, The Deep. Uh, But his personification as a semi-known actor of Quint uh, makes the film. Uh, The fact that he refers to the giant terrifying shark as a fish and other sorts of denigrating terms makes him the ideal Ahab-esque foil. In fact, if you read the book, Quint's fate in the book is much more like that of Captain Ahab in Moby Dick. Uh, But this being a far more direct man-versus-shark moment when he dies in the movie. Uh, I've always contended and continue to contend that Quint's death is probably one of the top five most awful on-screen deaths, removing your Hostile saw torture porn type stuff, although I still think it competes well with them because it's a scene that probably lasts 30 seconds or less, but it seems like an eternity as he kicks against the nose of the shark who inexplicably can still chink and chew on land um, until he's sucked into the mouth and the thing basically bites him in half before your eyes. Uh, it's a fabulously effective scene. And absolutely terrorizes Brody, which again is the the foil for us as the as the viewer. But the fact that Quint defiantly kicks at it and stabs at it with the machete till the last moment that it finishes him off is a, a great completion for the character. Uh, and the depth of Quint is wonderfully established by the famous Indianapolis story scene. Uh, when after drinking rum or whatever he's there drinking in a lull he goes through the story of the sinking of the USS Indianapolis which presumably most of you know is is accurate at least in most of the details I believe he gets the date wrong and a few other things but from a a standpoint of the depth and the reason why he is the perfect antagonist for this giant shark uh, is explained in, in the wonderful language of that, which lots of legends exist about. Uh, John Millius is frequently credited with having written that. Some others have said that Shaw wrote it. Uh, there's also another story that says that Shaw, thinking that Quint was supposed to be drunk when he told it, tried to do a take of it drunk and it was awful. That part isn't hard to believe. I don't know if it's true or not. But nonetheless, if you watch it and how it's edited carefully, Effectively, his story part, there are some interspersed cuts, is is, appears to be pretty much one take, uh, which I think adds to the the focus of it. There are a couple of inserts, but nonetheless, Shaw appears to nail the entire story in one take. And his, his, again, very salty uh, accent, combined with his language and his crudeness, and all of those other things are seemingly explained completely when you hear him talk about being one of several hundred people dropped into the water when Indianapolis was torpedoed and sunk towards the end of World War II. Uh, from there, the film it takes on a life of its own with regard to the music. It's one of the great cinematic musical scores ever. Uh, there are ones that are instantly re- recognizable and pretty much known by everyone who loves movies. Bernard Herrmann's Psycho theme, uh, Coppola's uh, Godfather theme, but the, the low bass notes of the Jaws theme are so wonderfully unique and doom-laden that I think one of the great testaments to them is in fact that when the fairly awful shark movie D- Deep Blue Sea was made, Uh, Trevor Rabin doing the music went all the way to the opposite end of the keyboard and the scary shark music is as high as he could possibly make it to avoid any possible uh, copycat accusations about John Williams' Jaws theme. But I think there is little question as you watch the way that the, the film blends the music, the fact that the shark is rarely viewed and the warning music is so ominous that, the, that the, it's, it's one of the most effective film scores you're likely to ever encounter. Uh, and it's, it's fun if you've seen the movie as many times as I have, and, and as an admitted film geek, I have the music on my, uh, my iPhone to listen to, and I can think of the lines, and I can remember what goes with what music, because I've seen it so often. Um, and if you ever hear Steven Spielberg talk, One of the things he refers to is that The Searchers, the great John Wayne Western, features one of the most harrowing moments in cinema history to him, which is the question as to whether or not John Wayne, Ethan Edwards, will in fact kill uh, his niece, played by Natalie Wood, at the moment he encounters her as he's promised, or if he will not. Uh, I think that Jaws has, I won't call it an homage, but it has a scene that I think Spielberg tried to match that intensity and probably surpasses it. If you have an opportunity to watch it again, I, I invite you to watch the very brief moments after the crew of the Orca first encounters the shark, and Quint has mounted the uh, the flying bridge in an effort to harpoon it, and he's waiting for Hooper to tie on the line to the to the flotation barrel that is attached to the harpoon line, and the shark begins. Daringly to come straight for the ship and Hooper is nowhere to be found and the music picks up at a, at a fabulous pace as the shark begins to come and Hooper is, is, in, the, uh, is in the cabin trying to look for something and Quint begins yelling at him and yelling at him as the shark is coming and coming and you can hear uh, Chief Brody saying kill it Quint, kill it, shoot now and by the time Hooper gets out there it's too late, he's only able to shoot it in the dorsal fin But the the, the moment, the music in the background really hops up the intensity for that period of time. Anyway, as you can tell, I've watched Jaws way, way, way too many times. And if you have not watched it and you love movies, I highly advise watching it on the biggest screen you can. If you see it in a theater, you'll note that about two-thirds of the time you seem to be underwater below the, the water's level as it shows on the screen. So if you can watch it On a big screen that gives you that effect, it will seem even more daunting. Um, If you have watched Jaws and you have thoughts on it and you'd like to join and post on those in the Movie Nuts, please ask to join. I really thank you for listening to the first version of our podcast, and I hope this to be one of many. I intend to include as many of the Movie Nuts members as will be willing to sit in on these. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for listening.